Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Welcome back to another episode, Truth Seekers and Space Tribe family members. How you doing today, Brie? I'm so great. So happy to be talking to my space besties. Come and vibe in our tribe. We have so much to cover. Vibe in our tribe. All right, Brie, let's just, what is our episode about today? We're jumping into the 37th parallel, one that we said we would cover many moons ago, and we finally got around to it. We were actually supposed to record this about two weeks ago, and then we ran into some issues with our recording equipment. But I'm glad, actually, because I ended up finding so many more things, and I feel like I'm still missing some things. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on with the 37th parallel, more than we're going to be able to fit into one episode. Who knows if we'll do a second one. We'll see how far we get in here, but there's a lot going on, and it's all very fucking interesting. It is. It, it's known as the UFO Highway, and it's similar to the 33rd parallel that we've covered, except it's on like alien crack. It's like hyped up. I was definitely going to say this is like the 33rd parallel gives me like a lot of like paranormal vibes, like stuff like that. Whereas this one is a little bit more true to the UFO nature of its presence. It's on paranormal steroids, basically. Agreed. So let's just start off by saying what the 37th parallel goes through. And I'm going to run a quick list here is we got Algeria, Tunisia, Italy, Greece, Turkey, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Pakistan, the People's Republic of China, South Korea, actually technically the border between North and South Korea. It's kind of like right along that line. Japan, Portugal, Spain, and the U.S. There were a lot of stands. I know there was was the very stand area, which is actually kind of interesting to me because um, we've said on several episodes that like there's like a lot of stargates and like portals that are in that area. So it's interesting that they run along that 37th parallel line because the 37th be popping. I completely agree. This overall came to light, more mainstream light, from Ben Meserich. He wrote the book, The 37th Parallel, The Secret Truth. Did you read the book? No. Okay. So there's like kind of mixed reviews out about it. What a lot of people like about it is that it's a really easy read because the UFO perspective about the 37th Parallel from somebody who's not really into UFOs, so it's very palatable. Although I found that there's not that much actual information inside of it. Like there's not... It doesn't really tell us what's going on there. One of the pages at the end is like a blacked out, like black, quote unquote, redacted page where he can't share any information kind of shit. And honestly, I took it as more of kind of like a kooky, like, all right, I guess I'll write about this because people will buy it. I can see where you're coming from. But he was, he is a very well known guy. I mean, he's written books that have made it to movies. We all know the story of 21 and a social network. It was the story of Facebook, basically. And so he's a known guy. He always wrote about mainstream topics and then jumped into this because of a UFO researcher, Chuck Sikowski. Give it up for Chuck. Give it up for Chuck. Who was balls deep in the subject. And he is really the one that put all of these pieces together. He's a well-known UFO researcher in our community, but I think that he really gained a lot of attention when he was fired from being a sheriff's deputy from Colorado's El Paso County. And he was there for 
eight years. And basically what happened was there were some cattle mutilations and the police department had released a statement giving an explanation. And although he was off duty and never really gave a solid statement saying, yeah, I'm a sheriff and all of these things, but because it came out that he disagreed with what the explanation was that the police department came out with, they found that it was a bit controversial. They didn't like that. So he was basically fired. Fired, all because he believes in the UFO phenomena having ties with cattle mutilation. Well, it's interesting you talk about cattle mutilations because definitely like the, the southern part of the United States in general has had a huge issue with cattle mutilation so much to the point where like Texas and Oklahoma and like a bunch of sheriffs and people in charge had to literally band together and like beg and force the FBI to investigate these cattle mutilations. So, of course, when you have somebody who's like a sheriff trying to investigate him, you're going to run into some trouble. Historically, the southern part of the United States doesn't like to look into UFO kind of things, doesn't like to look into those cattle mutilations. And it's just a shame. I mean, it's discrimination in my book. Um, But I do find it interesting that all of those cattle mutilations were along the 37th parallel. I mean, we have Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Oklahoma. All of those spots were all on the 37th parallel. That's what really made him pay attention to this whole topic and really investigate what the hell is going on on this 37th parallel that's causing all of this strange UFO activity. I think we have a few kind of 37th parallel incidents that we would like to go over. I want to start in California and make our way across. That's literally what I was going to say. Okay, perfect. Literally, my note's right here. Let's start in California. That's creepy because mine too. Well, for one, uh, I live on the 37th parallel. Yeah, I was going to say, I looked up your address and your mom's address. You guys are uh, right on the 37th parallel, which actually kind of sort of makes sense to me because we've always like joked about your the portal in your mom's backyard. Like, So now, like, okay, that makes sense. We're on the 37th parallel. Of course, weird UFOs are going to pop in and out of your mom's fucking backyard. That's true. We've always talked about that, just weird things above their house. And so it does, I mean, I really had no idea until I started looking into like in depth of California for this. And I'm like, holy shit, what? What are the fucking odds? The closest one to home would be the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose. That's very true. There's been a movie about the Winchester Mystery House. A little more paranormal than alien But I think that paranormal and alien, we've discussed this many times, there's ties. They're connected in a way. We have some ghosty stuff and we have some alien stuff. And this is definitely some ghosty stuff. Sarah Winchester, who was the wife and widow of William Winchester, he was the heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company and the heir to the Winchester Rifle Fortune. That was really known to kind of win the West. And so after Sarah's husband died and her daughter, she felt that she was haunted by the spirits that died by the cause of these rifles. She almost became plagued by these spirits, at least that's what she thought. And she was also a spiritualist, so that kind of ties in there. She would have seances at this house, and I think it just fed into her paranoia. She began construction on her house. Not just like any construction. We're talking nonstop 24-hour construction because for some reason this woman thought that the spirits would leave her alone if she just kept building. And she would stagger the, the work shifts. 
maybe the morning shift had no idea what the evening shift was doing. And that was another way of other people not knowing what they were building to further confuse the spirits. And this house, I mean, is very well known in this area. It does tons of tours a year. It does flashlight tours around Halloween. This house is huge. This mansion, I should say. This mansion is huge. You have doors that open to absolutely nothing. So you can just, if you take one step out, you're going to fall down a couple stories. You have hallways that lead to a dead end. She thought that if she built this intricate design It would confuse the spirits. Maybe they would go down a hallway, take a right, take a left, and lead to nowhere and not know how to get out. Ghost Adventures has done a couple episodes on this. It was actually the only house that they went to where they had to stop their investigation midway into filming. Eventually, they made their way back to the house. And I think their biggest mistake was that they attempted to open a portal in this house that was already well known for having paranormal activity. And that just heightened everything that was going on in that area. So when they returned, they basically were like, sorry, spirits, we're not going to open any more portals. I mean, that's kind of dabbling with the devil anyway, if you're trying to open up a portal in an area that's already paranormal. But I just found it was interesting because I've done a tour of the house and I mean, I was so young, so I didn't really pay too much attention or I didn't feel any strange vibes. That could also be because I was, you know, with a bunch of strangers and it was the daytime. And so you don't really have a chance to connect to all the weird shit there. But there's tons of stories of the workers there that have seen ghosts. There's a story of one of the workers that used to work on the property. He had died there. And so people have seen him working out in the field or working on things in the house, even though no one's working, no one's doing any more construction on the house anymore. So I find that very interesting that that's on the 37th parallel. Did you go there like in like elementary school on a field trip? I most likely. I was like, because I feel like that's when I went. It was like a, a high school or like a elementary middle school field trippy kind of vibe. And this is TMI, but like my body decided that I was a woman that day. So. <laughs> oh, really? Can I? Yeah. Oh my, are you fucking joking me? What grade were no, you in? No, I think I was like 14. That's so interesting that you say that this is wildly off topic. But when I got my first period as well at the fucking Discovery Museum oh on God. a school field trip and I passed out. Not cool. Like blacked out because I didn't. I was in fucking like fifth grade. I had no idea what a fucking period was. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was the house that did it. <laughs> why Why we gotta be the same and have weird periods on school trips? So fucking weird. So fucking weird. <laughs> you know, another place that's not too far from your house, a place that we spent lots of time in, Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. In the warm California sun. Boardwalk. <laughs> so there's something out there called the Mystery Spot, and it's very comparable to the Winchester Mystery House. It's like this weird wooden house cottage thing that's up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it's called the Mystery Spot because this area seems to defy gravity. Have you ever been there, Brie? I have. I have not. Oh my goodness. It's so interesting. Like you said, it's it defies gravity. It's almost like a place where our traditional physics doesn't exist. Falls roll uphill, like the the house is literally sideways, but when you stand in it, you're standing up straight. And oddly enough, I mean, it's encompassed in this 
circular area about 150 feet just a circle like you said weird things happen the ball so let's say they put a plank they tilt the plank downwards where normally if you put a ball on top of a plank it's going to roll down well at this house the ball rolls And many other strange occurrences. It's interesting that you bring up that circle, though, because one of the kind of myths about why this area is the way it is is because a meteor came and crashed down and formed that little circular area where they built the mystery spot on top of. Another theory is that there is a UFO that's buried under there and it's causing some strange electric anomalies. Now, what's very interesting are there are lots of skeptics about this that say it's all just an illusion, that they built the house sideways. You think that the ball is rolling up, but really it's rolling down. It's just all an illusion. And I find that very hard to believe since this is a historic landmark here in California. I feel like if it was just a place of smoke and mirrors, maybe they wouldn't have made that a monument area. It is known to make you feel dizzy, your chest feels heavy, you feel nauseous. All of that happens in this area, and so it draws tons of attention. Did you feel nauseous when you're in the area, or did you feel like, mm, I feel like a, at a UFO home? Mm, UFO home. Mm, it was strange. I like that vibe. It's weird. You think you're standing straight, and then you look down, and it's like your feet are to the left of you. It's the weirdest thing. It's like the tall people look short. You can stand on top of the house and it looks like you're just leaning completely forward. It's just the strangest thing. You know, I'm going to be there in about three days, Bree. Maybe we maybe we should go. Maybe that's where we should go. Let's go to the Santa Cruz Mountains and go to the mystery spot. There's so many things I want to do with you. Ooh, ooh. Oh, you didn't tell me. Like what? We'll talk later. So if we hit the road, we're going to bump into Nevada. Which is where I'm at, guys. Which, let me tell you right now, Nevada, all of it in general is just weird alien shit. And it's very well known for Area 51. Space and Area 51. Let's go. <laughs> Area 51 has a lot out there, and we've gone over plenty of the stories of all the things that happened in Area 51. So let's continue on our little 37th parallel road trip. So if we continue our journey, then we're going to end up in the Four Corners region. This area is known for a lot of action. We have Utah, there's the Navajo Mountain, and it does cross into Arizona and the border. That place is is a huge Lakalith dome, and it is a special place to the Navajo people known as Head of the Earth. Traditional Navajos believe that the mountain and the spirits can heal the sick, protect you, or even bring rain. It's a sacred place to these people, and there's only one way in and out. You do need a permit to even go in. You'd have to get a permit from the Navajo Nation to even enter this area. It's a big place, but it is known to be a stargate and a portal. The whole Four Corners area is really a headstone for Native American land and history, which we know is full of mystery and the paranormal and its links to star people. Yeah, what's also really interesting about this Four Corners area is it actually has this huge methane cloud that's being emitted from it. And it's so large that it is responsible for about 10% of the U.S.'s natural methane releases. So it's interesting that it's over this 37th area, this parallel, this area that has like all this history and all this weirdness going on, that there's this huge fucking methane cloud just literally pouring out of that area at all times. That is so weird. I had no idea. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. That is so fucking strange. Well, then you start to hear like a lot of things 
things, people talking about how like, you know, methane could light on fire in the atmosphere and that's why people see UFOs. So like, is that just them covering up the UFOs happening in that area or does this methane released have something to do with it? I mean, there's just so many layers to it, I think, when you think about that aspect of it. It definitely is. And right in that area, very close, is a World Heritage Site, Mesa Verde National Park. It is one of the best sustained ancestral Puebloan and archaeological sites in United States. It's about 52, over 52,000 acres. This land contains petroglyphs and dwellings, which are basically rock shelters that are built into the cliffs. And the most famous one would be Cliff Place. And it is the largest in North America, cliff dwellings in North America. You know, I feel like we could do an entire episode on the whole Southwest area because it's just like so fucking popping. Bro, I want to do an entire episode on the Kentucky Mammoth National Caves. Anyway, hold on. Continuing. So the people inhabiting these ruins were the Anasazi, about 450 to 300 CE. That's current era. So I believe that maybe we're switching up our names for instead of before Christ and after death. I think after death would be current era so maybe it's like dropping the religious side a little bit you know what i'm saying but don't come for me on that name because there is a lot of debate on using the word anasazi because some will say it's just ancient ones but overall this is a name that the navajo gave them and it can also translate to ancient enemies or ancient outsiders or alien enemy. I'm not sure if maybe it's not politically correct anymore to call them the Anasazi if it's calling them ancient enemies. So there's there's a lot of debate about that, but for this episode, I'm just going to call them the Anasazi. So there's no concrete conclusion about how the Anasazi disappeared because they built these intricate dwellings and petroglyph areas and then they just up and disappeared. There's a lot of debate on whether or not there were droughts and that's what led them out or if something else happened and it caused them to completely disappear. It's it's like the Mayans, they just dipped. I was going to say that actually sounds very similar to the Mayans though because a lot of people were saying that what happened is is that all of their their underground water systems dried up basically making them extinct if some event didn't happen that we don't know about. So it's interesting because it's almost along those same kind of lines. There's also a lot of debate on whether or not they were cannibals, either eating their own people or eating their enemies. Because there's evidence in the taphonomic analysis, which is basically just the science of examining bones before death. And they found that there was tons of evidence that indicated that the bones were butchered and appeared to be boiled and roasted. And the burning signs shows that there was still flesh intact while they were being burned. And they also found digested human tissue in the ancient feces. I mean, to be fair, though, I feel like there are a lot of Native American tribes that practiced this cannibalism, especially after battle and things like that, where, you know, they would like scalp them and then ingest their heart because then you're you're taking on their energies so that you can become a greater warrior and things like that. So I don't think that that's so crazy 
crazy outside of the realm of like possibilities that they could have been cannibals. Yikes. Well, we could rabbit hole about the Anasazi because they have connections to Shiprock, which some people do consider is on the 37th parallel. It's 36.78. And that's one of the things with the 37th parallel is sometimes people include either like 70 miles either north or south of the 37th parallel as being like a whole encompassing area. So I would love to get into that because the whole story of its creation links to interdimensionals from Venus coming, ties with reptilians. There's Chaco Canyon, which has a ton of mystery behind that. And apparently there was evidence of ET presence there and the government taking over and covering it up. So I think we could definitely do an entire episode just about them. But this site in particular has many tales of hauntings from the Anasazi. Quite interestingly, more in recent days, a mysterious disappearance of a hiker in 2013. Mitchell Dale Staling, he goes by Dale. He went out for a pretty late hike if you're going to go hiking. He left his house about 4 o'clock. And the trail that he took was less than a quarter mile long, and it was connecting to Petroglyph Point, and it's a two and a half mile loop. But he never returned home. So he should have been kind of in and out in maybe a couple hours, but he, he never returned. And they never found his body while searching tons and tons of search parties for him until about seven years later, which was just last year. Ooh. September 2020. Oh, shit. Not that long ago. Really not that long ago. So they found his remains, and oddly enough, it was an area that had already been previously searched. Of course, it always is. It was like 4.2 miles away from the trail. And so, of course, this grabbed the attention of... David Pilatus, who we all know is is the missing 411 researcher and author. Because like you said, it that's so common for these national parks when there's a disappearance, when their remains are found, or when the person reappears. It was an area that was already well overdone with search parties and dogs. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. He goes out to investigate also because where Dale vanished was known by the natives for being this mysterious spot where there were supposed to be like mystical powers there in that area. You think at some point we'd start to learn our lessons about Native American tribes telling like white people not to go into certain areas because weird shit happens? Because <laughs> I feel like so many of these stories start off like that. Like, well, the Native Americans warned us and we went anyways. And we were like, fuck it. All right. <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting because they did readings and found that the static electricity there where he vanished was just off the charts. Are we talking about some EMFs here? Some electronic magnetic fields? To the point where he speculates that there is a vortex in that area. And strangely enough, Dale was from a German descent, which is another very common trait in people that are missing in national parks. That's one of the the points in his checklist when he goes and investigates these people that have disappeared in national parks. Not only is it that their body is found in a place that was already searched, but 
that they come of a German descent. And so that kind of leads you down a rabbit hole into like, how are they disappearing? Are there aliens taking them? Is it because they're Nazi aliens like back in the day that are working with the Draco? I was just going to say, is it Hitler? You know, and we've we've gone into that with the whole secret space program. So uh, being like I said, that's its own rabbit hole. And what's also very strange about this is that apparently an average of about five to ten people go missing in that park a year. That sounds about right to me, honestly, though. Like, you guys, our park systems, this isn't the only park system we're going to talk about on the 37th parallel either. No way, Jose. And if we continue to Colorado, we come across the San Luis Valley. And that place, oh my god, we're going to fucking journey there. It's only 40 miles from Dulce also. So it's in Colorado, but it extends into New Mexico. And this place is known as a paranormal playground. Every type of paranormal phenomena has been recorded and reported in this area. We're talking UFOs of all shapes and sizes, Bigfoot, crop circles, cattle mutilation. And this place is the largest alpine valley in the world, nestled in between the Rocky Mountains. And it's completely isolated. It's 5,000 miles. It's bigger than Connecticut. And so it's like this little valley that's almost like a... A little lima bean nestled around these giant mountains. At one point, there were at least 12 different native tribes that were visiting the area simultaneously. And because of this, it was known as the Bloodless Valley, the Valley of Peace, because they would go there for vision quests. So they knew that this place was already paranormal, pop in a place maybe to tap into the other interdimensional realms. And so it's really interesting that maybe other places you would come across a different tribe and your enemies and you would maybe try to kill each other. But in this place, it's like, no, this is a no-go land. So this area is highly, highly known for having portals. There's magnetic energy in maximum and minimal field strength, along with clay in the sand and water, which of course just generates enough concoction to create a vortex. And the land is rich in minerals. I say land because this is going to cover the entire different the entire area, all the different parts of this valley that I'm going to go over, all the different minerals there. One, there was a turquoise mine, like back in prehistoric times. This was a place where they would go mining for turquoise. But the different minerals that they found there, and this is just a few. Okay, give them to me. Apatite, chalcedony, epidite, feldspar, fluorite, hematite, magnetite, opal, plum agate, tons of quartz, Calcite, garnet, pyrite, silver, copper, gold, gypsum, rondite, carnelian, agate. I mean, the list goes on and on. So this place is popping. You didn't have to flex like that. You just could have said all the crystals. (laughs) All the crystals in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it. Like, we collect crystals crystals and stones and keep them around the house for their energy i you know we wear them as jewelry to connect with this so imagine a huge area of land where all of that is nestled in there so that just adds to the energy there it's just popping with all of these stones in this area is the very first cattle mutilation the first to hit mainstream news 
the place, the beginning of mutilation season. It's like this was the place. The story there is very well known. This was in September 1967, known as the Snippy Horse Case. Snippy? Yes. Like they're snippy? Snippy to horse. Are they persnickety? He was a persnickety snippy. I like it, okay. What happened was... (laughs) What happened was... So what happened was... The herd of horses came back to the ranch returning for some water and they noticed that one of the horses was missing. So then they go out to look for the horse and when they found the horse, they found him a hundred feet from her tracks. So they're following the tracks of the horse, nothing. And then the body a hundred feet from her last steps. Like she was picked up and yeeted, like yeet. They yeet the horse for sure. The skull, the neck, the shoulders, everything was gone besides the bone. The brain was gone. They also couldn't find any trauma to any of these bones. They couldn't find any trauma to the skull. They couldn't even tell where the heart and the lungs were removed. There was no signs of how this happened. And the birds wouldn't even fly by the carcass. You would think they'd be like hungry vultures coming by. They wouldn't go anywhere near this body. Also, what was very strange was that the nearby bushes where she was found was flattened. It was flattened down and there were burn marks everywhere. I was going to say, sounds like a UFO, like swoopty swooped and then yeetity yeet. Exactly. So this was a very interesting case. It has all the, the indications of your typical cattle mutilation where all those things are missing, the blood is gone, the, the body is flattened. There was nothing but bones and they were a strange yellow color like they had been sitting out there in the desert for years, even though she was just alive a day ago. It just, it baffled everybody. And this was one of those cases that brought everyone to come and check it out, including Chuck Sikowski, who we mentioned earlier. The rocky mountains that are bordering this valley is the Sandre de Cristo Mountains, which stands for Blood of Christ. These mountains are super charged. Some of the well-known areas that you'll find there are the Great Sand Dunes, which is the tallest in North America. The base to the top, it's about 800 feet, give or take, and it is 98% pure silica, like almost 100% glass. It's about 50 square miles of billions of tons of sand. And so they surveyed the sand because they're like, where the fuck is this coming from? This is like a rocky area. There's forests. Like, where? how did all of the sand just like show up? So they surveyed the sand. They drilled from the highest point all the way to the bottom and they hit an ancient forest. So they hit wood. And because it's organic matter, they were able to carbon-14 date it. And they found that the wood was only 11,000 years old. Humans have been coming to the valley before these sand dunes even showed up. Realistically, they're baffled as to how the hell the sand even got there. Like, how did this happen? One of the really funny theories there is, you know, that whole Four Corners region, all the different natives have different stories of how they came up. From underground, the Sapapu, that, and that they were helped by these ant people that, you know, would bring them from underground. So one of the, the theories there is like, oh, it's the ant people. They were like digging underground and so it kicked up all the sand there. Oh. I kind of like that. There's weird things that I've been seeing there. I mean, all kinds of very strange paranormal activity. One of them I've never heard before are these like web-footed horses that are like galloping in the sand. Like half fish, half horse? Like horse, but with webbed feet. Maybe it's the ghost of Snippy. (laughs) (laughs) 
She's like, I leveled up, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I got one feet, bitch. Look what Jesus gave me. Exactly. She's blessed. <laughs> blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Underneath the Great Sand Dunes monument is Mount Blanca. This is the fourth highest summit of the Sandre de Cristo range, and it is one of the four sacred mountains of the Navajo natives. It's the sacred mountain of the east. This mountain is not only a portal, it's a place where UFOs are seen coming in and out through the mountain, and there's strange stories of crystal skulls being found there, as well as there being a secret military base in that mountain. There are tons of weird, weird stories of the military being there and it being tied with aliens and all of that kind of stuff. And this whole area, Dr. Stephen Greer and Isetti, they've been going out to that area since the 90s and they've been holding CE5 experiences there. And they seem to have amazing contact experiences in the San Luis Valley, including like ETs manifesting catching it on film, weird stories of like lights coming up and then orbs coming and then expanding to the point where it encompasses them and then like a box appearing. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Stephen Greer says that this is one of the biggest hotspots opposed from Mount Shasta. This is the biggest area where you find all of that paranormal, all of that UFO activity. And he says he knows for a fact that there is an ancient E.T., presence an ancient et civilization there in mount blanca like just like living in the mountains yes deep underground okay all right all right all right and then using that as a portal to come in and out which is kind of the same as mount shasta what mount shasta is known for i mean here here's my issue with believing all of this and it's just if i was an alien and i could travel the world and then like also the galaxies i don't know if i'd want to live inside of a mountain you know what i'm saying like it just it doesn't seem like a good vibe like i could see them using it as like a base or something but i just living there sounds horrible i'd rather go somewhere else well maybe just like a tunnel like using it as a tunnel i mean this could connect to like the hollow earth theory that they're be like tons of fucking aliens underground oh oh we're we're gonna get there we Don't are worry. gonna get there this area i mean he has even like particular spots where they go to do their ce5s and he's just like this is the fucking spot there are so many ufo sightings coming in and out of this mountain that there is a ufo watchtower Judy Messaline created this UFO watchtower, and it was a place where alien enthusiasts and curious people can show up to her watchtower, maybe check out her shop, but she wanted to create a safe space where people can go and tell their alien stories as well as capture all of the crazy UFOs that are coming in and out. So she knew about this area. She's seen it with her own eyes and was like, you know what? I got to build a UFO watchtower here. And she basically left what she was doing previously to build this watchtower. It's right on this Colorado Cosmic Highway. And she just seems like such a cool lady. I think this is going to be a big part of one of our road trips that we do one day. So you guys should check it out. Go visit yourself. You can find out more information on ufowatchtower.com. But it's a very cool place. You know, the UFO Watchtower definitely sounds like something me and you would make in our future. And maybe... Maybe, like, we should just both quit our jobs and then just travel around the 37th parallel putting up UFO watchtowers. You know how much I want to do that so bad? I feel like I'm wasting away. Like, we should just get some two-by-fours, you know what I'm saying? And, like, I mean, Josh knows how to build things. 
<laughs> I feel like Josh would do all the work and we would just hang out. We'll just be here to like hand out flyers, make stickers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Brie, where are we going next on our little road trip? Well, we could drop down a state to New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. We all know one of the famous things in New Mexico is your Dulce Disneyland. And Dulce is right on the 37th parallel. Another thing that's over there that we're not going to talk about is Roswell, because Roswell happened on the 33rd parallel. But what UFO incident we are going to talk about is the Aztec New Mexico UFO incident, which if you kind of roll your brains back a little bit and think... think about where have I heard this from before? Well, let me tell you. I asked Linda Moulton Howell a question at AlienCon 2019. And I said, if not Roswell, what do we look at? And this bitch was like, Aztec New Mexico. (laughs) Should we say this bitch? Yeah, why not? Will she take offense to that? I do not think so. Okay. And so the Aztec New Mexico UFO incident is known as like the other Roswell. And it is very typical, a UFO crash. Now, when this first kind of came publicized, there was a guy who first published the story in 1949 in a Variety magazine column. His name was Frank Scully. Now, if you know anything about the story, it is said that it was a giant hoax and it was two people who made all this stuff up. We've gone over this case before because of Linda Moulton Howe. But in 2013, an FBI memo claimed that some of the ufologists were right about the crash and that some of their stories and stuff were dismissed. So a lot of people came out after 2013 being like, haha, jokes on you guys. This can't be fake because why is there an FBI memo about it? And it's a picture that you can find all over the internet, this memo. You can go and read it yourself. So it's very interesting that we have very similar to Roswell almost in a sense where like years later, you know, more information comes out and then we're like, okay, wait a minute. Did this really happen? And interestingly, I mean, they're only eight months apart. So it's weird to me that we don't know too much. It's interesting that it's not as known as talked about. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, the similarities between the two stories. There's lots. So very interesting that we have another well-known UFO crash on the 37th parallel. And if we continue down, we kind of find ourselves in a little bit of Tornado Alley territory, which, of course, has its own scientific explanation. But it is interesting for that area because if we jump into Kansas, tons of cattle mutilations have been known there. And then in that area, Oklahoma, Missouri area is the Joplin spook lights, Hornet spook lights, Ozark spook lights, Tri-State spook lights. It's known for all of that. This also goes along where the Native American Trail of Tears is. And so that probably adds to all of the strange paranormal happenings there. But this has been seen by the natives since 1836. And it's basically described as these orbs or fireballs that are bipping and bopping all around. They bounce down streets, they disappear, they reappear, bouncing around like a basketball. They hover over treetops. This is a phenomenon in that area that's very well known. People go there like 10 o'clock clock midnight and always see these weird spook lights which to me just sounds like ufo like orbs or the plasma like plasma orb beings that you know we randomly talk about it 
it looks and it sounds a lot like that type of phenomena. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about those and it's definitely something interesting. We should definitely probably cover it at some point. It's a very interesting little little area where it's like fucking clockwork, but no matter what people do, they can't go up there and figure out what the hell it is. Like they try and they try and they try and they just can't. They have no fucking idea. Exactly, clockwork. I mean, I've even seen people that are like, we're going to disprove this or like, we'll show up, nothing will probably happen. And then they end up seeing it and they're like, what the fuck? That was so weird. It's it's rare that you investigate an area that's known for strange UFO orby things and to actually see it for yourself again. You know, usually like we visit the spots just to be like, yeah, I'm here, boots on the ground, but you don't actually see it again for yourself, usually. But this is a spot where people actually do. They go and they see it. And also in Missouri, we have the Piedmont Missouri Lights. And this is a very known spot for all kinds of UFO activity. And there was an incident which gave it the Piedmont Lights name. This incident was in 1973 at the Clearwater Lake where there was a UFO coming out of the water. This area is known for having UFOs come in and out of that lake. Like we've been saying the whole time, guys, the UFOs are underwater. So much that Chuck Sikowski, you know, he has his own show. Should have mentioned this before. He has his own show on the Travel Channel, Alien Highway. He investigates all of these areas. And so one of the episodes, he goes to Missouri to check out these Piedmont lights. And it's very, very interesting, all the things that he finds. I had no idea that Missouri was kind of popping. You know, as we start to put the pieces together, I realized, wait a second, the Cape Girardeau crash was there. This popped up when we started investigating about the secret space program because this was technically the first UFO crash ever. And this was a story of a minister. This happened 1941. So we're going into the 40s, but this was before Roswell, before Aztec. So the story is basically that a minister was called out by the local sheriff to this spot where this UFO crashed and he saw the typical metallic silver disc and inside the disc, you know, of course, like smashed to pieces, but he could see inside of the disc were these bodies and one was still alive, but on its deathbed, basically. And so the sheriff had called the reverend to come and say a blessing to pass on the poor alien soul to the afterlife. So that is a really interesting point to add to Missouri. Maybe we'll visit Missouri again when we get back into our states episode as we go along because the whole UFO crash things started there. I definitely am all about the Missouri vibes. A lot of states that we're looking into that I'm like, oh, oh, oh. We're very surfacely going over a lot of the information here right now because there's so much to get in. But there's stuff that we're going to say here that we're definitely going to deep dive into. Yeah, it would almost be a disservice to some of these incidents to not go back and go over and give them their own episode. So this is definitely like just pointing out that they're all on the 37. And then we'll come back and be like, all right, let's dive into the depths of this deep portal. Well, you know, speaking of that, let's move on to the next state and we'll talk about another UFO crash that we should probably go over 
right in Virginia. I had no idea anything happens in Virginia. Oh, we have the Nash Fortenberry UFO sighting that happened July 14th, 1952, where it was two commercial pilots, William B. Nash and William H. Fortenberry, claimed they were seeing eight UFOs that were flying in like a very tight kind of like triangular formation over the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. Chesapeake Bay in general has a ton of UFO sightings and it's kind of like a hot spot. This case is actually so well known that it was part of the Project Blue Book program and Project Blue Book deemed it as, quote, unknown. Wow, that surprises me. It wasn't a known natural phenomenon? No, they never claimed that. And I think the reason was is because it was these two commercial pilots actively like talking about it as it was going on. I I bet you we could probably find the tapes for it. And there was tons and tons of witnesses on the ground who cooperated everything that these pilots were saying. So there was no way that Project Blue Book could say it was anything other than unknown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we should definitely dive into that. Well, and another just stayed over. We have the 2000 Southern Illinois incident or known as the St. Clair Triangle. You know, you say Illinois. (laughs) Yes, I know. I say it wrong and I don't care. Oh, love it. That I don't give a fuck about your T's and your S's being silent. Never. I Did you not see that I sent that to you? Like the thing and it was like California people not saying the T's at the end of things. I know. It killed me. Some of them I agreed with and some of them I was like, no. You know what got me is when she said hat. I was like, I never say that fucking T at the end. Like I don't say hat. You don't? Hat. Say hat. Or just hat. Oh. Yes, yeah, see? Hat. Yeah, you say hat. <laughs> hat. Which makes it sound like we're almost have like a Boston, like it's a hat. It's a hat. Well, I say in and out. Are, was there a T there? In and out. In and out. In and out. Yeah, in and you kind of said it with a T. Maybe I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's another one? She says important. Yeah. Important. I guess important. I was dying. I was like, oh my God, is this what we do? Is this, this is why people think we have a California accent because we don't say hat with the T. We don't say hat. We say hat. I feel called out. <laughs> I didn't even realize because when I watched the video, I was like, I, no, I don't think so. But then, of course, as I say it, I'm like, what the hell? The hell? Okay, back to it. So in 2000, there was a string of UFOs that flew over several towns in Illinois so much that it got on the news. People were talking about it. It was inside fucking papers and things like that. Definitely something we should go over. Illinois seems to be a little bit of a hot spot down there in that southern area. So it's very interesting. We've done two episodes about them. We've done two Illinois episodes. Okay, well, you know what? We might have to go back for thirdsies. Fuck. I know. All right, let's visit our last U.S. state, which I think is our biggest and the one we were both the most fascinated with. Talking about motherfucking Kentucky. Kentucky Derby, baby. Kentucky Fried Chicken, baby. Ooh, Kentucky Cluck. Yeah. Kentucky Cluck. What the fuck? Hey, that rhymes again. Cluck. What the fuck? I did, did. So really, the biggest thing going on here in Kentucky is the Mammoth Cave National Park which is the world's largest known cave system that still hasn't been explored all the way to this day. I believe there's another 600 miles that they estimate is there that still hasn't been explored. And there's a lot of speculation on whether or not it's even able to be explored or that there are these particular spots 
steps that's blocked off that they're like, oh, we haven't gone in there yet or, oh, it's dangerous, but really that there are alien beings and civilizations down there that we don't want to come across. Kind of like with Dulce, kind of like the story of Phil Snyder in Dulce, how, you know, they go way down into the underground where there are these Draco reptilians living there and then they had that famous firefight. That's the kind of vibes I got, that there are, like, maybe not-so-friendly ETs down there, and it's like, hey, you can explore the cave, but only to this area. These cave systems are very interesting, and there's a, a lot of theories that come up around it. So one of the theories that I heard about these cave systems, which I'm actually kind of into, is that these cave systems are actually an opening, basically like the stairs down to hollow earth. And so it is like this giant maze of cave systems that you have to know exactly how to get through in order to like get to the good shit. It is funny that you mentioned the hollow earth because there was an area of this cave known as the Symes Pit Branch, and it was named after Captain John Cleve Symes, and he was the hollow earth theorist. He was the one that invented the hollow earth theory. And they they did rename it, but it's still known as the Symes Passage. Listen, I'm a big believer that there has to be some sort of portals or something down there. This cave system, I mean, you guys don't understand the size of it. We're like talking like literally an entire country could be under Kentucky inside of these cave systems, how far down they go and how large they are and how extensive they are. Like it is, like Bree said, there's so much of it that they haven't even explored and they're not going to be able to. And a lot of it does have to do with, you know, maybe there's like little blocks that, you know, maybe they purposely put some rocks in that area or like, you know, put a little padlock on the door like don't come in here stuff is happening many researchers have been told like oh you can't go back there and then in privately will be like no there's some weird fucking shit you can't and it's just a labyrinth of passages and this is i mean we're not just talking like a normal cave y'all this is the biggest cave in the entire world with many entrances There's like stories of shadow snatchers and, you know, there was like mummies that were found in there that were very well preserved that Native Americans used to go down there and have rituals and it was like a rite of passage to go through. And one of the key factors, I think, that go into all types of paranormal phenomena, again, always comes down to like stones and stuff. You know, one of the things that we've talked about are things like sandstone in these big hotspot paranormal areas. And one of the two biggest stones found there is limestone, also quartz. So like the limestone has these particles of quartz which obviously is a a major component in portals and vortices and major energy zones. But there's also sandstone, which is also known for metaphysical properties. It's referred to as the earth energy stone. It connects you with the cosmos. That's what it's known for. So it's already like a really great start to paranormal activity and the cosmos and all of that kind of energy. There's also formations of gypsum, which is a variety of selenite. So this place is just packed already with ancient world. This was formed 330 million years ago and everything in there is just like energy, 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 and then deeper to the earth. And there's got to be even more energy of earth the deeper you go. Like that would only make sense to me. Like you're getting closer to the root chakra of the earth. 
Like you could feel the heat coming off of it. <laughs> exactly. And we already know, I mean, Kentucky, the Kentucky Goblins also on the 37th parallel. Hellier, Kentucky is on the 37th parallel. And it's only 50 miles from Fort Knox. Fort Knox is known for the gold conspiracy. This is where all the gold is supposed to be stored, but that really, they already siphoned it away, and the Rockefellers are now using it as, like, some cage for the innocents to suck their blood. I mean, all kinds of weird conspiracies like that. But in the UFO world, it's known as the Montel UFO incident. This happened January 7th, 1948. Another hot 40s number we have here that seems to link to UFOs and history. Captain Thomas Mantell, who was a Kentucky Air National Guard pilot, he basically crashed chasing a UFO. He climbed so high in altitude that he blacked out and was basically fighter plane was sent spiraling down. And we've already gone over this before. Project Blue Book investigated this incident. They came out, of course, a weather balloon that seems to be the hottest explanation in the late 40s was like everything was a fucking skyhook balloon. But even though the object was seen by three people at Fort Knox in the control tower, they're the one that sent Thomas after the UFO, you would think they would at least know it was a weather balloon. And another explanation was like, eh, it's just Venus. You're telling me he was chasing Venus with his plane? I mean, come on. Of course, the story we've already covered, but that story is also on the 37th parallel. I mean, I am Venus. I am fire, your desire. So you, you could chase me. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, another UFO incident right along this 37th parallel that we have covered. You know, something that we don't do pretty often, Brie, is we don't talk about too many overseas UFO cases. So I'm going to give you just a few of them to end this episode with about some of the stuff that's over there on the 37th parallel. So I did make this comment before that it's the border between North and South Korea, which I find very interesting because a lot of really weird, horrible, fucked up shit happens at that border. So it makes sense that it runs along the 37th parallel. <laughs> to say the least. There's also apparently in Granada, Spain in 1976, a huge rash of UFO sightings over Spain that we definitely are going to have to look into. Oh yeah, baby. And my favorite thing is going to be Fukushima, Japan, where the 2011 earthquake happened and they had the nuclear meltdown, 37th parallel. Crazy. So it's not just the United States, guys. It's all over. It's everywhere. It's across this entire 37th parallel. I didn't even look about all the weird things in the ocean that could be on this 37th parallel that happened. Oh God, if we get into the ocean, that's this... It'll turn into a series. It'll turn into a whole series. So here's just a little bit on the 37th parallel, you guys. Of course, we are going to deep dive some of the topics that we haven't yet, but most of them we have deep dived. If you don't remember, go back, check them out, listen. I mean, that was a lot. That was a lot already. Like, who knew? What the hell? There's just so many different things that we can cover. It's just like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We'll have to like rock, paper, scissors over something. And then the next time you guys hear from us, we will be together in the flesh. We're going to record an episode. I'm going to California. The episode's probably going to be about nothing because we will be drunk. Oh my God. And or not able to retain information. So apologies in advance for next episode that comes out where I yell, fuck you, Mountain View, California every 10 minutes. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen and you know it. Why lie to them? Oh my gosh. I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> so I guess so. Uh, we're looking forward to that. You're like, I guess I'm looking I forward to that. I guess we're looking shit. forward to that. Uh, you get what you get. No. You get what you pay for. <laughs> and what you don't 
pay for. Exactly. We love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Send us any questions y'all have or maybe some other things that we didn't touch on for the 37th parallel. I mean, it was already packed. I can't even believe that we're able to condense all of that into one episode. I feel very proud. And we'll talk to you guys soon. I love you guys. And Mountain View, California, I will see you in three fucking days and I will fuck you myself. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Jamie, you're crazy. I like to be spicy. You are beyond spicy, but beyond fucking spicy.